Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, this morning we're in 2 Kings, so we're going to pick it up where we left off, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38, where we read this, and Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And when it says sons of the prophets, a lot of translations will say the company of the prophets. So there's a prophetic school, and Elisha is there, and he is teaching them, training them, and they're hanging out with him. And so they're there, and he said to his servant, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So there's a famine, but there's going to be food. You may be in a famine, but God is the God who wants to work supernaturally to feed you in the midst of a famine. See, a lot of times we have the idea, well, God's provision is dependent on our natural circumstances. God can provide for you in the greatest recession or depression there is. He doesn't have to have a, a booming stock market for you to do well financially. God can provide for you in a tight, tight job market, in a, in a job market that, that isn't tight. God can provide for you when interest rates are high or interest rates are low. God can provide for you in your family. He can provide for you uh, in your relationships. He's a God of miraculous provision in every part of our life. So here they are, 100 prophets needing a meal in a famine, and they're getting one. So one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lapful of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then, which is really a crazy thing, so maybe he's watching Jamie Oliver and he saw, you know, Jamie Oliver slicing up some pumpkin gourds and making a fancy little soup, and he was like, oh, I'm going to do that, not realizing that the gourds he sliced up, um, most theologians uh, and scholars are together on this. It's a kind of gourd that grows in that part of the world, and it will not kill you unless you eat a lot of it. It would just make you wish you were dead. Um, so it's a lot of stomach problems when you eat it. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. There was nothing harmful in the pot. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. It's two very interesting stories, and just a, a couple of observations on them. First, in a famine, there is no food, typically. 
But this passage is about eating in the midst of famine. The word eating in the Hebrew, same word, ate, eating, all of it, same word appears eight times in these few short verses. So when you want to know what a passage is about, just look at the word that's repeated all the time and the word eat is. So this is a, this is a message on eating. It says eat, eat, eating, eat. I mean, are you hungry yet? We all ready to go to Lambert's, have some throat rolls. Maybe not Lambert's, but uh, you know what? I, I just feel like people that sit on the front row, you got to reward them because, I mean, I'm spitting, things are spraying down there, but you just give the glories there. So we are going to feed you in the midst of a message on famine. Front row, come on. There can never be a famine in the front row. And some of you in the stadium seating are saying, why didn't I sit in the front row today? Krispy Kreme donuts are theirs. Because there's no famine in the front row. Number two, second observation, both stories illustrate the same point. So you have this one story about the stew that gets messed up because somebody put something in it and he throws flour in it and they eat. And then you have the second story where there's not enough bread to distribute to 100 people and they distribute it and they eat. And the whole purpose of having two stories back to back is for the purpose of emphasis because God wants you and I to understand something, that he's a God who provides food in the midst of famine. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. He's a God who can meet the needs and he's a God who cares about your needs. He provides food in the famine. So what I want to do is I want to just briefly point out three things that I want us to focus on relative to God providing food in a famine. Number one, famines come to everyone. Everybody faces famines in their life at different times. We could be talking about a famine of in your marriage. Could be a famine with your children. Could be a famine in your finances. Some of you are going through an emotional famine where emotionally it's a real struggle for you. Some of you, it's a famine at work. You had jobs you really loved. This is not a job you love. You had coworkers that you really interacted well with. This is not that. You feel like you were in a desert wasteland. It is a famine. Some of you financially are upside down. It is a famine. And the good news is we have a God who provides in the famine. Let's look at it. 2 Kings 4.38, and Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Really hard for us to enter into the ramifications of that. If you had a famine in that day, you're not talking about a week or two weeks without food. You're not even talking about three or four months without food. You're talking at least a growing cycle without food. There's no grocery stores to buy anything. There's nothing you can do. In fact, famines could get so severe that people would be reduced to the most uh, severe and despicable conditions. We're going to see it in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. You're going to have people who are actually boiling their children and eating them. You're going to have in the marketplace people selling dove dung and it is, is being bought up 
because people are eating it to try to sustain themselves. So when you're talking of famine here, let's just be real clear that to have a, a pot of stew would be an amazing thing in the middle of a famine. Let's be real clear here that to have somebody who has 20 loaves of bread and they're tithing it, they're giving it, would be a really big thing in the famine. And here you have Elisha, a man of God, and he's in a famine. You've got a hundred prophets, and they're in a famine. See, sometimes Christians are surprised when, when we hit different times in our life where there is some difficulty, and they think, well, hey, wait a minute, I'm serving God, what's up with this? The fact of the matter is that when God allows us to go through seasons of famine, it is almost always to strengthen our faith and to demonstrate his power to us so we can see he's a God for whom nothing is too difficult and he is able to provide for his children and will do it faithfully. Famines come to everyone and I've either going into one, coming out of one, or you're in the middle of one. All of us have challenges, have battles, but our God is there beside us, and when it looks really desperate, he's even more prevalent in our situation. Back to verse 38, it says, Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to the servant, Put on the large pot, boil the stew for the sons of the prophets, which is, again, amazing that they would have anything, so one of them went into the field to gather herbs, and he found a wild vine, gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. And then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Every time I read this story, I think of a time back, it would, it would have been in, when we were in the other building at the church, and and it was during the holiday season. And back in those days, we had more energy than we had common sense. And what I mean by that is we just kind of did a lot um, in a very short period of time. So like we were having this weekend where on Saturday night, we were having a James River Christmas. Sunday morning, we were having a James River Christmas. And then on Sunday night, we were having the kids Christmas program. And so, hey, since Friday night was free, we had an all-staff Christmas party at a restaurant. I mean, you know, it's just like a crazy schedule. And so we have everybody there. We have any employee of James Rivers at this. It's, it's this very large uh, gathering. We're at this restaurant that shall uh, forever remain nameless uh, publicly because um, it's still functioning. And we were there. And um, so we're sitting down. You know, we, we uh, have, play a few games, have uh, sing a song and have the word of prayer, and now we're sitting down to the meal, and I'm, I'm just getting ready to lift the fork literally to my mouth, and Debbie leans over, and Debbie says, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. If you didn't hear me in the stadium, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. So I'm like, well, why not? She said, um, doesn't smell good. So um, I've since really learned to trust this amazing sense of smell my wife has. So I said, well, okay. And she said, I think we should warn everybody else. And I said, well, Debbie, that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna 
work good. I mean, they're already starting to eat. We're having this conversation back and forth about what to do. And while we're doing it, everybody's digging in and they're eating. And so um, by the time we kind of figure out where we're at on this, um, everybody has eaten and has already eaten enough that the damage now is done. Um, we found out later that the chef was in the back and had gotten uh, inebriated. And so that's why there was death in the pot. But um, so the chicken was ruined. It was spoiled. So that night, people start calling us. Middle of the night, we start getting calls from the staff. Are you guys okay? We are just vomiting like crazy and diarrhea. And then the next morning, you know, so now, you know, it's the day of the James River Christmas and like, you know, the, the music people, they're all down and, the, you know, the, um, you know, it just, it's going through. It's just like it goes all through Saturday into Sunday, depending on how, how strong the person is. There's only one person who didn't get sick, and that's Kurt Parsley because he grew up on the mission field. And I mean, he's got so many amoebas in there, nothing's going to hurt him. So, you know, he's got that cast iron stomach, but there was death in the pot. It's a bad situation, and I have no application beyond telling you that story. So, number two, famines are material for a miracle. No matter what your famine is, no matter what your problem is, no matter what your difficulty is, it's material for a miracle. It's an opportunity for God to develop your faith and at the same time show his faithfulness. It's an opportunity for you to lean into God and to watch God do something you never imagined he could do. I mean, it wouldn't have been easy for them to come up with the ingredients and, and to, to do all that for the stew, but, but here is Elisha, and I want you to watch what he does. So Elisha said, then bring some flour, and he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Here's what's so interesting. Elisha's just as, he's just as calm. He's just as collected because you see, the more you know God, the more you know God is for you, you know the more God is watching over you, you know the more God is going to help you, and when you've seen God do what he's seen God do, and you've actually let it increase your faith, when there's a famine, you're not worried. You don't have any question God can provide. He's not mad at the guy who went out and, and got the wrong stuff and put it in the pot. He doesn't say, what were you thinking? He doesn't say anything. He's just like, hey, do we have some flour? Put it in the pot. It'll all be fine. How does he know that? How is it that he can do that? Because his eyes are on God. He knows he serves a God who provides. He knows he's got a God who has an answer to every single problem that he faces. There's no hint of worry. There's no hint of fear. He's walking with God. He's walking by faith. And this is an opportunity to display his faith, to develop his faith, and to see God do something supernatural on his behalf. And can I just say, whatever your problem, it's an opportunity for you to a watching world to say, I have a God, and he takes care of me. It's an opportunity for you to display your faith. It's an opportunity for you to show the power of trusting in God and being calm in a situation when it seems everything is falling apart. You are, you are at peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in you. 
Something about trusting in God. Something about really knowing God. Something about allowing the things that we've seen to build faith in us that causes us to say, he's a God who can heal a person's meniscus. He's a God who can heal my marriage. I mean, if you, if you don't make the correlation between those two things, something is faulty in your faith. If you can watch God work around you, but it doesn't do a work in you, then you've absolutely missed the lessons God wants to teach you that would help you next time you encounter a famine in your life. Elisha's just as calm and easy and relaxed because he trusts God and he knows God. The more you and I know him, the more you and I trust him, the more you and I see what he does, and we internalize it. We don't just spectate it, but we actually enter into it in celebrating and saying, God, what an amazing God you are, the more we're going to be able to trust him in the storms of our own life. Number three, I want you to notice this. Famines are an opportunity to hear God's voice. This is the thing I love, because when you and I are going through a difficult time, that's a time that God is speaking. You know, in the Proverbs, it says this. In Proverbs chapter 8, it says, Wisdom, which wisdom comes from God, cries out on the street at the intersections of life, cries out and says, Hey, I'm over here. God is literally, I think, many times shouting at us, saying, I'm right here. If you'll just simply trust me. Look what happens. This is so instructive for us. Verse 42, and again, this is a second story, but emphasizing the same point. We have a God who provides in famine, but we're going to learn some more things about this. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha, and he brought the man of God bread of the first fruit. So here's a man who's tithing. Here's a man who's giving. Here's a man who's taking what he has, even in a time of famine where you might say, oh, I, I better not be giving it away. I think God will want to keep it for myself. No, he's going to give what he has, and giving what he has is going to be used by God to bring a miracle in the lives of others. And honestly, can I just say, that's exactly what tithing does, that when you and I are giving, when we're supporting the house of God, literally, it's multiplying his miracle-working power in the lives of people. If you were to walk with Debbie and I through a week, and you were to hear the stories and see what God is doing and watch the way God is working, blow your mind. Your giving, your generosity is making that happen. So here's the man. He brings this bread, 20 loaves of barley bread. Now we have the idea that, you know, big loaf wrapped and, uh, you know, like we would have at the store. That's not it at all. It's very similar to what we read in the Gospels when they brought Jesus um, a little sack lunch, two fish and five loaves of bread. The loaves aren't big loaves. The loaves would be like little biscuits, little maybe this size. So what happens is there are these 20 little biscuits of barley bread and newly ripened grain in the knapsack, and he said, give it to the people that they might eat. There's 100 men. You got 20 biscuits this big. It's not going to feed 100 men. There's no way that's possible. Now, here's the thing we have to kind of realize in our own thinking because we've read the story of Jesus multiplying the fish and the five loaves of bread to the 5,000. 
We've read the story of him doing it again later to a crowd of 4,000 besides women and children. And so because of our familiarity with that story, when we read this, we're like, oh yeah, that, God does that. That's easy. This has never happened before. This is long before Jesus' time. So when he says to do this, it's a shocking thing. But his servant said, what shall I, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Can I just say that's almost always the way God works? That usually you and I, will, and there's nothing wrong with in prayer saying, God, you see the problem, and from my perspective, it would look like if you could do this or do this, and, and we're always quick to give God a menu of options and to let him know our preferences, and there's nothing wrong with that because honestly, sometimes God does that. But often I've found God does things in ways I never thought of. He works in ways that would have never entered my mind. His ways are different than our ways. He has a perspective that's much broader than ours. He sees everything. He knows everything. And he has the power to do anything. In Isaiah chapter 55, I love this. This is the Lord speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And by that, what God is saying is God is, is, is not saying his ways are irrational. He's just saying his ways are different. Because he's God. Because he knows what he knows. He not only knows what you and I see on the outside, he knows exactly what's going on on the inside. He not only knows, but, but he has the power to do things that are beyond our ability to imagine. I mean, Paul says now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. I mean, God can do so much more than you could imagine in your situation, my situation, and he wants to do it because when he does it in that way, then it's obvious he's the one who did it. If he did it in the way we wanted him to do it, it might not be so obvious. So he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts? Listen, let me just remind you of something we talk about a lot. If you have to understand what God is doing before you'll step out in faith, you'll never step out in faith. Oftentimes, it's just simply a matter of, of saying, God, because you said it, it doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm going to do it. I mean, again, and it's easy to apply this because it's so visual from, from even the healing. So the man who has stroke damage on his left side and there's this word of knowledge and that, that, you know, God wants to heal it. He's watching at home as he's watching at home. His granddaughter texts and says, that's for you. Instantly as he's watching it, he feels like the Lord says, get up and skip which is ridiculous. He can't skip. He knows that. He said he thought in that moment, I can't skip, but because you say so. How can a man who can't skip, skip? I don't know, but if God says you can, you can, and he does, and he's healed. 
How can somebody who's torn their meniscus, you remember the word, it was, it was like after they pray for you, it, it was as if you won't feel anything, you won't be better, but when you do what you can't do, that is squat, you'll be healed. I mean, God's ways are different than our ways. I'm not saying every time it's that way. We know that. But even when you, when you talk about giving, how can it be that I'll have more if I give 10% to God than I would have if I kept it all to myself? It doesn't make sense, but it's how God works, and it's true. Now, here's what I want you to see, because I think this is really very important to the whole conversation here. You have Elisha, he's a man of faith. He's walking with God, and because he's walking with God, he's hearing from God. The two go hand in hand. To the degree you and I walk with God is the degree you and I will hear God's voice. And so there's a, there's a, a gradient, there's a continuum, and you have people who are hardly ever walking with God or hardly walking with God, and they hardly ever hear his voice. I'm not saying you never hear it, you just rarely hear it, where you would really know it was him. And then you have other people, and let me say this, if you're not walking with God and you're telling me you're hearing God's voice all the time, then I would suggest medication. Because God's not going to talk to the person who's living in sin. He's not going to constantly talk to him. That's, that's the Bible. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's what the Bible says. But if you're walking with God, the more you're walking with God, the more you're going to be able to discern God's voice as he speaks to your heart in all the variety of ways that he does that. Because he does it in more than one way. So you have Elisha. He's hearing the voice of God. He's walking with God, serving God wholeheartedly. Then you have his servant whose name we're going to learn in the next chapter. His name is Gehazi. And watch what happens here, because I think it's so interesting. But his servant said, what? I mean, he can't believe Elisha's asking him to do this. He's afraid of how he's going to look. He's afraid he's going to look silly, giving a hundred men 20 little biscuits and saying, have fun. Hope you're full. I mean, he can't figure it out, and he doesn't want to do it. In fact, he's saying, shall I set this before a hundred men? Are, are you crazy? Why? Because this is a man who has seen the miraculous, but it's never changed his heart or his view of God relative to the miraculous. You say, what do you mean? This is the guy who saw Elisha say to the three kings, I want you to start digging ditches in the desert and you're not going to see rain, and you're not going to see wind, and you're not going to see clouds, but water will fill the ditches. And it happened. This is the guy who saw Elisha dump a bowl of salt in the bitter waters of Jericho and healed him. This is a guy who tell, watches Elisha say to a widow of the prophets, listen, I know all you have is little, a little bottle of anointing oil, but go borrow all of the big jars and vessels you can find and then just start pouring the oil into them and pour it until they're all full. He's, he watched that happen. She comes back, she says, they're all full. Elisha says, go sell it and provide for yourself and your sons. 
This is the guy who watched Elisha say to the Shunammite woman, a year from now, though she and her husband could not conceive, a year from now you're going to have a child. And she did. This is the guy who sees that child years later die, and Elisha raises him from the dead. But this is the guy who can't believe God does miracles. Why? Because this is a guy who has never taken what he's seen and internalized it in his heart and come to the place where he says, I believe you're the God of miracles. See, it's a very dangerous thing to sit in a place where God is working supernaturally because it will have one of two effects on you. It's just how it works. Nobody stays in a static condition where you don't change. Either what you've seen and the conversation around you will cause your faith to grow. And let me add this, not only the conversation around you, but the conversation in you. What you tell yourself about what you're saying is really critical. What you tell yourself about God is really critical. Do you believe what the Word says? Do you believe what you're saying? Do, are, you, are you correlating that and saying, He is a God who does miracles? Or do you watch it, dismiss it, say, ah, oh, yeah, that's Elisha. He, he does it. I don't see anybody else do it, and I don't even know. There's probably some explanation somewhere for it, or I'm not even sure it's real. I mean, I don't even know that the kid was dead. I thought he was dead, but I don't think he was dead, and I laid the staff on him, and, and uh, probably he had just passed out real good. I mean, you know, there's always an explanation to discount what you see. Here's the thing you have to understand when it comes to walking with, with God. This is really, really important. Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is not like the little hardware company that said, the uh, urgent we do immediately, the impossible we have done by tomorrow. No, this is, it's impossible. This is, it can't happen. It's impossible to please God without faith. You can't walk with God. You can't, you're not going to hear from God. This is why it is so absolutely critical that what you're seeing, you're appropriating in your life in a faith that says, if he did this here, he can do that there. That he's a God who does the impossible. Some of you, what you've done is you've instead created a narrative of disappointment, and to keep yourself from being disappointed, you won't believe anything because you feel you're protecting yourself, and what's happening is you're actually killing yourself spiritually and cutting yourself off from the supernatural in your life. I don't mean that judgmentally. I'm just honestly trying to pastor you and help you understand what's happening here. Here's Gehazi, and he never gets it. You're going to watch in the next chapter, if you can believe this, in the next chapter, because here's what happens when a person isn't walking by faith, eventually they're going to walk in the flesh, and you're going to see him do it in a ginormous way. Be careful then how you hear. Be careful then what you see. Be careful then what you listen to. Be careful then how you internalize what God is doing around you. He doesn't do it, and because he doesn't do it, he can't even believe for something as simple as this. Tragic. I mean, 
He, he says, I, you're asking me to do that? Look what Elisha says. He says, he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. How could he say that? How does he know that? We find the answer at the end of the verse, that they may eat for thus says the Lord. See, in order to say thus says the Lord, you got to know what the Lord said. People can run around and say thus says the Lord, but if they haven't really heard it, then it's not going to happen. But when a person's walking with God, you're going to hear the Lord speak to you. They shall eat and have some left over. Now, I, I want you to notice something here because I think it's very interesting. This phrase is repeated three times in three verses. Serve it to the people that they may eat. Give it to the people that they may eat. Give it to the people that they may eat. The first time, it involves something that's a bit of a mystery, and that is how does flour change the soup? I mean, there's no, we're not given any information. He said, throw flour in there, and the soup was fine. So it's a mystery there. It's a problem here. Give it to the people that they may eat. It's a little easier for us to understand that because of what we read in the Gospels, but the problem is there are 20 little biscuits, there are 100 men. How does he know to do that? Both the mystery and the problem are answered in verse 43. Give it to the people that they might eat, for thus says the word of the Lord. Look at it in verse 43 that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left over. And then verse 44, very interesting. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Here's Elisha, and he hears in the middle of a problem, in the middle of a famine, the word of the Lord. Implied then is this that he heard the word of the Lord with the stew, hey, just add flour. And Elisha doesn't have to say, thus says the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes when you really know the Lord, you don't always have to say, thus say the Lord. Sometimes you can just say, do this, because you already know it's the Lord. And when people say, how did you know? Well, the Lord's spoken it to my heart. So, when it came to feeding the men, how did he know that there would be enough because the word of the Lord came to him? He verifies that. He says that. And here's the thing that I love. In every single problem we ever face, there's a word of the Lord for you and for me. And so to kind of wrap this all up, the way it works is this. There's some of you and you're facing a famine in some part of your Again, could be, we've talked about theirs, could be with family relationships, could be with your marriage, could be with your finances, could be with a substance issue, could be with where you work or the people you work with, could be you have no friends, could be emotional, could be a quiet hell you feel like you're dealing with, where no one else knows, but you're, you're aware. Can I just say to you that the Lord loves you so much? And he's a God who speaks to us in the midst of those kinds of things. 
it can happen, you know. Honestly, this is one of the greatest reasons to read your Bible every day. Um, when you read your Bible, every day when I read my Bible, I'm underlining and it's, I'm underlining things I feel the Lord is speaking to me every day. So when you don't read your Bible, you're cutting yourself off from the voice of the Lord that may give you the answer you need to the situation that you're facing. But it could come through a friend. They could give you some. It could, the Lord could speak to your heart in a unique way or through circumstances in a unique way. The word of the Lord. I'm just saying, whenever you're in a famine, watch, look, listen for the word of the Lord. But I would suggest to you today that the word of the Lord has come to you through this message. And the Lord is speaking to you and the Lord is saying, I want to help you. I want to do something powerful in your life. And he's a God who not only meets the need, but did you catch that? And they'll have some left over, always generous. The generous, gift-giving God never does barely enough, always does more than enough. And there's some of you, and you can't see how that would happen. You're, you're like Gehazi. You're like, well, I don't even know how that could happen. And here's the good news. You don't have to know. And if you'll surrender your right to know, you'll end up knowing because you'll see God do it. <laughs>